You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Refined Kitten seems to be up to something, perhaps in the control system world. Microsoft debunks claims about Teams, Bluekeep, and Doppelpamer ransomware. The FBI warns the auto industry that it's attracting attackers' attention. A new attack technique, Rip Place, is described. Phineas Fisher's bounty considered. The UN, the AG, and the course of the crypto wars. Does America need a 5G czar? And ransomware all over Louisiana. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, November 21st, 2019. Microsoft describes how Iran's APT-33, also known as Elfin or Refined Kitten, is engaged in attacks against industrial control systems, Wired says. Microsoft is presenting their findings today at the CyberWarCon event in Arlington, Virginia, Essentially, Redmond believes it sees activity that suggests preliminary reconnaissance and battle space preparation by Refined Kitten. Iran has mounted destructive attacks in the past, but the present activity suggests that, unlike Shamoon, which Iran turned loose on Saudi Aramco networks in 2012, this one may be directed against industrial controls as opposed to IT systems. Microsoft also rebutted claims that Microsoft Teams served as the vector for the doppelpamer ransomware infestation suffered earlier this month by some Spanish companies, ZDNet reports. Redmond has also quashed rumors that the ransomware is being spread via the BlueKeep vulnerability. CNN has obtained a warning the FBI has quietly circulated within the auto industry, warning that the U.S. automobile sector is at heightened risk of cyber attack. The Bureau's warning didn't say who the bad actors were, and it painted the threat with a fairly broad brush, noting that there was the possibility of data breaches, persistence on company networks, and, of course, ransomware. May Detroit look to its defenses. Niotron today published the results of research into ransomware that covers a newly discovered Windows file system attack technique that allows attackers to encrypt files in a way that escapes detection by most anti-ransomware products. They call the technique REPLACE, but spelled so that the first three letters in capitals are RIP. And they've also released a free tool that allows users to check their Windows systems for susceptibility to the attack. BugCrowd's CTO makes a glum prediction about Phineas Fisher's $100,000 offer for anti-corporate hacktivist work. He believes it will have some takers. 
The purse is certainly large enough, and some will be motivated to go for it. That it was funded by stealing from bank accounts won't bother the bounty hunters much. Firewall and security firm SonicWall recently published their third-quarter threat data report, outlining some of the information they're gathering from their own sensors around the world. Bill Connor is president and CEO at SonicWall. I think the first observation is malware's down overall, but it's really gotten more nefarious, as I said. It's, it's more targeted. And uh, let's just pick one of the big categories is ransomware. Uh, ransomware itself uh, worldwide went down 5% through, you know, through the first nine months of this year. Uh, and it, even in the U.S., it went down 24%. Uh, Germany, almost 80%. Uh, UK, it went up over 200%. Now, it's interesting because while it's down, you know, over 20% in the U.S., as you can tell, it's gotten more targeted going after banks and municipalities, hospitals. So what's happening is you see a lot of country states and you see a lot of actors that are now taking ransomware. And when ransomware started maybe five years ago, it was a couple of thousand dollars or $10,000 that they were looking to get. Now it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. And that is the nature of what's changed. They're going after higher, more focused targets with bigger liabilities associated with do you suspect that the attackers are growing more sophisticated? Is there an increase in their level of professionalism? Yeah, that's a 100% accurate, Dave. That what's happening is because it's a bigger target with more money uh, at stake, they've gotten more sophisticated tools. And now you can go on the dark web and have ransomware as a service, literally 24 by 7. Uh, they You go buy it for you know, under a hundred bucks, and you can then target that however you would like and, and at whom you would ever like. And so it's really gotten more, more dangerous uh, in terms of that. And that's why the overall numbers are a little bit misleading in terms of it. Was there anything in this round of the report that you found particularly unexpected or surprising? Well, I think there's, there's several um, things that we've not talked about. One that I think your listeners need to pay attention to is IoT. Everybody this holiday season thinking of Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, a lot of gift gadgets going into homes, new phones, be it listening devices, you know, the series and all the other uh, different listening devices people are putting in their home. And the problem with that and cameras and all those pieces, you need to have be security and privacy aware. I think next year you'll see in 2020 uh, increasingly those vehicles targeted. So if you put it on your network, make sure you, you enable the security of that capability, uh, either with your home firewall or the encryption, uh, or protected so others just can't come in and work on your Wi-Fi and have access to your devices. goes with TVs as well really take this season because as we say in the report, IoT is up 33% just in uh, Q3 of this year. And it is one of the fastest growing areas and the attack service is incredibly large. Uh, Don't think of it as just now IoT in the office with your thermometers and and office systems. Think of it now as a, a home target relative to that. For many of us, our families kind of rely on us to help recommend those high-tech products for the home, and 
maybe it's it's also incumbent on us to uh, help provide the, or ensure that when those things are purchased or, and installed, they're secure. That, I think that's the, the key leave behind, David. You know, when you had kids, I don't know if you've got kids, but when they were mm-hmm. younger, you used to get the, the toys and the big thing was remembering to get the batteries, right? When, <laughs> when, now the big thing is, hey, when you turn it on, when you plug it in, when you put the app in, let's make sure the right security and privacy settings are set up and, and just go back and double check check your router and your Wi-Fi in your home to make sure you've got that encrypted so others just can't drive by and jump in there. That's Bill Connor from SonicWall. They recently launched their third quarter threat data report. The United Nations General Assembly will take its final vote on the Russian-led proposal to establish a working group to develop international norms that would aid in the suppression of cybercrime, computing reports. 36 human rights groups signed a letter opposing the measure. The U.S. and most EU member states also object, seeing nothing in the proposed norms that would do much to reduce cybercrime, a great deal of which, some sourly observe, originates in Russia, but that would do a lot to justify national control of Internet traffic. But such throttling of civil society is probably, from the point of view occupied by Russia and its co-sponsors, which include China, North Korea, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Syria, a feature and not a bug. In the light of this push in the UN and of calls for a balance between privacy and security, end-to-end encryption seems likely to be the next bullseye on the back of big tech, who may find themselves cast in the unlikely or at least recently unfamiliar role of paladins of civil liberties, according to the New York Times. Have encryption, will travel. Many of the recent moves in the ongoing crypto wars, particularly in the West, have been cast as moves designed to protect children from exploitation. So, U.S. Attorney General Barr has called for technical means that would enable law enforcement to find, track, and bag child abusers, and who could be opposed to that? Only child abusers, right? Well, sure, but the objection is that undermining encryption weakens not only privacy but security itself, And so those on the other side of the crypto wars, like the American Enterprise Institute, aren't buying it. Not entirely, as much as they'd like to hold predators accountable, too. Even the kids benefit from strong encryption. Five U.S. senators have written Amazon to request an explanation of the data handling and security practices of its smart doorbell subsidiary, Ring. There are privacy dimensions to their inquiry, but the letter's focus is on national security, The senators are particularly interested in Ring's potential for exploitation by foreign intelligence services, and they express particular interest in the access to Ring data Amazon may have given the Ukrainian development teams it employs. Some U.S. senators are arguing that 5G is a matter of such vital national importance that there ought to be a federal 5G czar, the Washington Post reports. It's presented as a kind of anticipatory Sputnik moment, You don't want the Chinese to get ahead of you here, do you, Washington? Absent such federal direction, the several states will no doubt continue to evolve their own regulatory regimes. Among the first to do so is California. The Golden State's Internet of Things security law was signed in September and goes into effect in January. It's unclear how the law will be interpreted in the courts. Much will turn on how they unpack the requirement that connected devices have reasonable security, HelpNet Security points out. The bill does prohibit private parties from suing under the law. That would be reserved to the California Attorney General, key attorneys, 
county councils, and district attorneys. The state of Louisiana continues to recover from the ransomware attack it sustained Monday. Officials had hoped to have the Office of Motor Vehicles in particular back online by noon yesterday, but the recovery is proving more protracted than they believed it would be. OMV's website is back up, but not yet accepting transactions. The state hopes to have the OMV offices up and running sometime today. The Louisiana Office of Technology Services appears to be following a deliberate plan as it brings state agencies back online. Criticality determines priority. Thus, emergency services and payroll have been addressed first, with other functional areas to follow. Ransomware, of course, is not just a Louisiana problem. Their cousins across the Atlantic have recently taken a big ransomware hit. Le Monde reports that the Rouen University Hospital Charles Nicole was attacked with ransomware on November 18th and is still working toward recovery. One of the largest medical centers in northern France, Rouen CHU, has 2,500 beds and employs some 10,000 personnel. About 6,000 of the hospital's computers are infested and offline. The attack is serious and particularly dangerous. Recent studies in the U.S. by Vanderbilt University and others suggest that there's a significant correlation between attacks on hospital networks and patient mortality rates, particularly deaths due to cardiac problems. May the patients in Rouen be safe, and may the authorities collar those responsible for the attack. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Michael Sechrist. He's chief technologist at Booz Allen Hamilton. He leads their managed threat services intelligence team. Michael, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on third-party malware risks and some of the ways that you recommend to mitigate those. What can you share with us? Sure. Um, thanks again for having me back. Uh, so, so one of the uh, 
the significant concerns is what we're seeing is how to prevent against third party or critical suppliers that might provide access or have some sort of capability back into a command and control function or malware. There's plenty uh, to do in order to protect and defend against that type of attack or that type of risk overall for an enterprise. A couple ideas and, and ways that we do that here is to um, focus the enterprise on profiling the connections that go back to the vendors so that we have sort of a, an idea of what baseline and what good and normal look like. And then able to profile against that as to what anomalous activity would be something you'd want to investigate further. We do this also by evaluating you know, network traffic on our managed uh, threat service side through full packet captures and, and other sort of passive out-of-band monitoring systems. But in order to, to get a, a handle on what good looks like and what bad looks like, we need to work closely with the enterprises and have that understanding with their vendors to know if this third party is communicating in a, in a potentially malicious or suspicious way. I suppose part of this is uh, the communication beyond the networked communication that you have. In other words, if if you all detect something going on, uh, you know, a couple links down the chain, um, you need to be able to share that concern to everyone along that chain. That, that's correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's very important to kind of get at root cause analysis whenever you're dealing in a potential incident um, and to know kind of how that that potentially malicious event or incident is, uh, you know, they're kind of the chain of communications is occurring. Is it just reliant on a potentially an infected third party or is it, you know, leveraging some other potentially infected website or device that's reliant somewhere else? You know, it's very important to get at root cause. It's very difficult to do that when you're dealing with third parties because, again, it's, it's, it's potentially dealing with an event that came and is infecting another potential company. Right. So you need you're reliant on that information sharing capability and having that kind of that free flow set up and not just something that's potentially, uh, you know, a one off communication, but some back and forth with your critical suppliers or your third parties that you leverage is very important to establish up front. Yeah, I, I suppose it's it's important that this whole process be collaborative and so that it doesn't uh, fall into some mode of being adversarial. Yeah, very important. Um, to not create a fear or a, a threatening, you know, base model for information sharing, but as something that's proactive that can um, also be transparent to other parties so that they can investigate and, and kind of validate findings. That's very important to establishing sort of veracity in what you're saying to not only those that might be internal at your company, but to others that uh, know that there was an incident and um, want to uh, best protect themselves from that happening to them. How do you balance uh, sharing the information that needs to be shared with these sorts of things versus protecting your company's interests, your your secrets, your your methods, and and so forth? A good way to to do that is is one I think is to establish an intelligence program that understands when to sanitize or scrub information that is potentially sensitive to a company, and to have those processes and um, worked out prior to an event, so that you're not uh, scrambling to figure out you know what to release in times of a crisis, but that you have sort of an, a standard operating procedure in place to just do that you know, routinely. So you got to work out those that kind of muscle memory early on. And that, that usually jumps from the form of not only an intelligence program, but, you know, working through cyber exercises uh, internally or with your partners 
in a, in a group format and uh, kind of building out best practices from what you derive from those exercises. All right. Well, Michael Sechrist, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.